I'd like to tell you a ghost story. Actually, to be more specific, I'd like to tell you about a photo. And that photo just happens to be of a ghost. The full photo is apparently of an electrical worker. He was on a pole hundreds of feet in the air overlooking Salt Run, a thin body of water off the Telmado and Matanzas rivers. Across the water is the Anastasia State Park, a thin peninsula that separates the Salt Run from the river. Behind the electrical worker, the only part of the photo that is available to be found anywhere else in the world is the St. Augustine Lighthouse. It's a fairly typically designed lighthouse. It's a spiral of thick black and white stripes narrowing to the actual lamp house at the top. The peak is a brilliant crimson red with clear glass all around. But there, in the background of that photo, through the misty fog of distance, standing at that scarlet railing that looks out to the sea, there is a figure. It's far from us, the photographer, and the natural obstruction between us and it cannot be helped, but it's unmistakable. It's a person staring at the water. The body has a pale color to it and it is misshapen, perhaps because of fabric or some clothing obscuring the form. The top third of the figure is darker and similarly unkempt. To the naked eye, at first glance, it resembles a layer of dark hair that hangs past the figure's would-be shoulders. If we accept the story that it is a figure, and it is looking out to the sea, it starts to resemble that haunting story from our collective unconscious of the woman waiting for a sailor to return home from a potential watery grave. It's a story that has been told in some form or another for centuries, and many towns by the sea have a ghost story just like that one. And here, in this photo, all of those myths, all of that lore, all of those shared stories manifest in a blurry figure on a tall tower. I have a lot of thoughts about this photo, and I couldn't quite put my finger on what makes it so compelling, so I reached out to my dear friend Bailey DeVoe. She's an actress based out of Tampa and a huge fan of the paranormal and macabre. We've been friends for many years now, and in that time I cannot count the number of times we have discussed all things spooky, ghosts, and aliens, and Bigfoot, and more. If there's someone whose opinion on folklore I trust, it's Bailey. And her response is a perfect indication as to why. So I'm just going to give it to you and just tell me what you think. Oh, wow. Gosh. Oh, that's spooky. Yeah. I, I mean, that's when you think of a ghost, that's what you imagine is like a woman in a white dress, long black hair, because that's what it looks like to me. Looks like a yield woman looking off into the distance, perhaps waiting for someone, you know, to come back. Wow, that's weird. And it's definitely not, and it's definitely not like, you know, you'd imagine a tourist would be wearing up there. No, you're yeah. not gonna, you're not gonna wear a gingham gown. <laughs> With your Crocs, <laughs> yeah. There, like I said, you have an idea of what a ghost is. If you, if someone says, I saw a ghost, there's an image of what you see in your brain. And it, part of this is like, you know, how much is the of this is just my eyes showing me something and me making factual, you know, thought uh, factual ideas based on that or how much I want to see or what you know I expect and projecting that upon an image I'll be honest with you it's not entirely convincing for me it's a little too Blair Witch the figure itself is so classically horror oriented the dark hair hanging over the face smacks of the grudge or the ring they are iconic images, truly scary in context, but when you toss that into reality and you make it into a photo that circles around the world and gains popularity in this niche community, my instinct screams fake. Except, of course, for one thing. It's not the photo that's so compelling to me, nor the story or the lore. The compelling detail is the location. 
St. Augustine. Now, I love St. Augustine. I have visited many, many times, and I've talked about it before, but something about the place just scares me. I've been to Savannah in Georgia, the apparent most haunted city in the United States, and it's certainly creepy. There's literally a building you shouldn't touch because it might make you possessed by a demon. But walking around, it's a beautiful southern town. The same is true of New Orleans, my favorite city outside of Florida. Everything there has an element of the supernatural, with skeletons in the windows and ghosts in every restaurant, but still, the joyful party of New Orleans overtakes the supernatural undercurrent. St. Augustine, however, the feeling of unease when I cross the border into that town cannot be entirely expressed. The last time I visited, I had dinner on a patio with my former college roommates and we drank and ate and listened to music, but in my gut, and darkness consumed the sky, I watched the murky alleyways of every street as we walked to our car. Every building has a story, and every story had a ghost. But there's one ghost there that compels me the most. He doesn't have the most stories, nor does he have the darkest backstory. He is foundational to the city, so inherent to its bones, and he's buried within its borders. His name is Henry Flagler, the father of Florida. I've written about him a lot, and I think of him often. His eternal soul not only seems bound to a building in St. Augustine, but it seems to manifest itself physically in a famously unusual way. I'm Nick D'Alessandro, and this is Wait 5 Minutes, a podcast about Florida by a Floridian. This week, the ghosts of Henry Flagler, and the fascinating, bizarre ways that one of our most crucial historical figures is remembered. This week, we're going to be talking about death a lot, and ghosts. If those things are a little too spooky for you, I might recommend skipping this episode, but if you're down for some haunts, this is the episode for you. Henry Flagler died on May 20th, 1913. He was 83 years old. 16 months before he died, the railroad that he funded and organized finally reached its terminus at Key West, after slowly building over the Keys for years. Flagler had been developing the Florida East Coast Railway for nearly three decades, buying up old train pathways and carving up the natural landscape to lay train tracks down the Atlantic coast, from Jacksonville to St. Augustine to Daytona to Miami and to eventually Key West. Once his railroad made it all the way, Flagler eventually retired to his home in Palm Beach named Whitehall. It was there that the octogenarian tycoon made his way toward a marble staircase in his home when his feet came out from under him. He tumbled downwards, and the injuries sustained were enough for the old man. He passed a few days later. Three days after his death, on the 23rd of May, Flagler's body was brought northward via his own railroad. A newspaper from the era that was rediscovered a century later reads, quote, Deep sorrow was caused in St. Augustine, as well as throughout Florida and the United States, by the news, end quote. The railway conductors honored him in many ways upon hearing of his death. At three in the afternoon on the day they started moving, all the trains stopped in place. As engines entered Palm Beach, they would sound their horns. People in the towns along the trek would wait through the night to honor Flagler as he passed, and when he arrived at his final resting place in the Memorial Presbyterian Church in St. Augustine, which he built, mourners flooded the streets. For all of the infamy that had followed him in the first half of his life, his work in Florida united its citizens. When he died, a founding father had been lost. 
It's at that funeral in St. Augustine where Flagler's ghost stories begin. It was held in the rotunda of the Ponce de Leon Hotel, which is currently Flagler College. He had the hotel built in 1888, and it's known for its poured concrete orange accents, standing out from the blue sky with cream walls and amber roofs. Local legend states that Flagler requested that every room in the hotel be built slightly different from each other. Through the front doors of the hotel is a huge glorious rotunda with a mural on the ceiling and a circular mosaic floor. A book of folklore called Creepy Florida by Mark Muncie and Carrie Schultz recounts a story of the central mosaic being laid. The man crafting the piece remarked to Flagler that the design was perfect, leading to Flagler knocking a tile off center, adding, quote, only God is perfect, end quote. Flagler's funeral was held in that same room 20 years later. In European Christianity, there is a tradition when someone dies. Around the body, until it is laid to rest, there must be windows and doors always open so the spirit of the deceased may apparently depart the body and move on to heaven. Flagler reportedly held the same belief, and had requested that this tradition be honored when he eventually passed. The story goes, however, that a storm was coming, as it was early summer, and the doors needed to be shuttered to keep the mourners safe and dry. The storm came, and the windows were supposedly thrown open. Staff rushed to keep the doors shut, but legend has it that Flagler's spirit was unable to leave the rotunda. Searching for somewhere to settle and stay safe, it landed on a tile on that mosaic. His spirit bound to this tile and has manifested itself in what many believe is an image of Henry Flagler's face on an orange-red stone square. The tile is a small rectangle. The hood over the eyes casts a shadow over his gaze, drawing a long streak of darkness over the nose. The right-hand cheekbone juts abnormally outwards and his lower lip seems to stick straight out and what resembles a mustache is smooshed right below his nostrils. Oh my god. <laughs> oh no. Very unflattering for people to say that that's him. <laughs> oh. It looks like... I... Uh... <laughs> it looks like he's making a kissy face. <laughs> I don't wanna... Listen, I don't wanna... I don't wanna uh, uh, skew your feelings on this. I mean, I get it. No, I understand. It, it's like you said earlier. There's, it's that phenomena. You look at it, and you know you see blotches, and then they come together to make a face. Because uh, it's, I mean, he. I mean, it doesn't. I've seen pictures of this man. Probably not as many as you've seen. I've seen. But a that lot of doesn't pictures. look like him. No. What I love about it is the is the mustache. <laughs> because if you see, there's this sort of hooded eyes, very very yes. dark shadowy eyes that the shadows sort of go down around the nose, and then there's this like plump lower lip, <sighs> and then there's like this mustache. If I'm being honest with you, and I always am, it resembles Freddie Mercury more than Henry Flagler. The story by far outweighs the supposed physical proof. But like, like- It's, yeah, I, I, but I, and I also think, you know, I imagine like, you know, cutting tiles, I don't know what that process is, but then you know, you look on the like, oh wow, this has got to go in there. <laughs> this looks, hey, this looks just like that guy. Yeah, this looks like my boss. Hey, 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 Chuck, you know, you know, Henry, check this out. There's oh, like, there's you! Like 1953, yeah. they're replacing the mosaic, and they're like, does that look like the guy who made this place? 
<laughs> Let's put that in. Scare yeah. some tourists. I mean, that, but that's, I know we're I mean, goofing, yeah. but that's a completely conceivable could totally explanation. If Flagler is trapped in a tile on the floor of his first hotel, someone should tell the specter that roams the hallways of Whitehall, his mansion in Palm Beach where he fell and died. Stories that go as far back as the 1980s reported the tycoon walking the beautiful museum that currently resides inside of his old home. It's believed that he started appearing in the museum in the 1960s before it was a museum. It's believed that much of his personal belongings that were in Whitehall previously had been packed into boxes and shoved into back closets. If the theory that ghosts hate change persists, it's only natural that Flagler would not be a fan of all of this change. But if Flagler's spirit resides in his final home as well as his hotel, he has to share occupancy. His third wife, the late Mary Lilly, died just four years after her much older husband did. She passed away in Louisville, Kentucky, under suspicious circumstances far from the home she shared with Henry Flagler. A century since her death, Mary Lilly has been seen around the Flagler Museum for 30 years. Several stories recounted in the Sun Sentinel back in 1987 tell of a woman in a long period dress, hat, and gloves. She faded away when she was observed. Other times, plates in the china collection would suddenly break, or keys would refuse to turn in their locks. If you ask Mary Lilly to cease this behavior, she will do so, and the apparition will leave you to your work. If Flagler is around, he is the silent guest in his own home. Mary is the real troublemaker. Hearing these stories, I was puzzled by Flagler's multiple ghosts, haunting the halls of Flagler College, watching from the doorways in Whitehall, and even down in Key West where his life's goal was complete. How can one person's spirit split and be found in so many spaces? In the end, the far more compelling question is, why there? If spirits truly walk our historic halls, showing themselves and making history so paranormal, why do they bind themselves where they do? Why do they choose to be there? Of all the spaces they could go, if they're going to be on this plane of existence, why do they stay where they stay? I mean, that's one of the questions that I, you know, often think about myself, especially someone who I want to believe, but I also think I more err on the on on the side of, you know, skepticism than not. I I think I think there's something undeniable about the idea of about there being energy in places mm -hmm. in that even if you don't know, you feel it. Like there have been places where I've been and I felt things and I'm like that's just weird and I feel weird and I don't know anything about this place, but it's weird, you know? The answer to that, perhaps, lies in the St. Augustine Lighthouse. Back in the late 16th century, as the Spanish began to settle St. Augustine, the colonizers would erect watchtowers by the sea to watch the horizon for enemy ships or to flag in friendly vessels. The first stable lighthouse in the area was built in 1737 by the Spanish, who established, quote, a new 30-foot watchtower made of coquina and wood, end quote. When the British took the land 30 years later, they expanded the watchtower even further. While not yet a lighthouse, this structure needed to transition to being a signal light as dozens upon dozens of ships would find themselves shipwrecked as they approached the Matanzas River off of the Atlantic. In 1852, a massive lens was added to the structure, lit from behind by a lard oil lamp that pointed out to the sea and went dark during the Civil War 
It was briefly relit in 1867, but was shut off yet again until a new and updated tower was finished on October 15, 1874. Interestingly enough, by that time, the sea was less common as a means of transportation because of one man named Henry Flagler. His expanded Florida Railroad made visiting our state much easier, one no longer needed to travel by the ocean. The lighthouse, however, remained. During the construction of that final version in 1873, it said that two children, daughters of the construction foreman, as well as a third friend, drowned in the water right by the tower. A fire in 1980 left part of the building nearly entirely gutted, but through several owners, the lighthouse became a museum and is now affiliated with the Smithsonian Institute. If you walk the stairways of this beacon, it said shadows peek over railings and pull on your arm hair, ensuring you notice them. The history doesn't necessarily explain the ghost stories. There's not one singular prominent figure to attach to. But so many people bound their lives to the existence of this tower, whether it be the Spanish who stood guard, or the British who rebuilt it, or the Americans who finalized this current version, or the sailors that lost their lives on its banks. So many have lost so much thanks to or in spite of that tower. It only feels right that it is imbued with the fear, the stories, and the memories of those who left a fingerprint on its existence. Flagler's dreams began with the construction of this hotel. It was the first thing he created after the loss of his first wife and eldest daughter, almost a year apart from each other. It was his home for many years. It still bears his name. It was the wild crackpot idea of a millionaire tycoon who always got what he wanted. I balk at the image of the tile with his face in it. The story says it was first seen on the afternoon of his funeral, but it's just too silly to take seriously. But something about it, something about the idea of Flagler being bound to this building just rings true. Of course he is. It's his baby. It's his creation. His life was poured into this exact building. Why, if he had a chance to stay after death, if that is true, if that is how the universe works, why would he not want to be here? You know, that idea of uh, with Flagler and his hotel, the idea of, you know, the art being part of the artist, that everything you make, you put a little bit of yourself into. I think that happens when history becomes folklore. Like, you say that, like, when you told me the story, you talk about, you know, first off, you start with that old idea about the windows having to be open. Then you talk about how they were closed and his spirit was flying around the room. It's that kind of visual imagery that you imagine, you know, really a, a much older story, you know. Just as the ghostly woman watching out to the sea fits a trope that rings true in our minds, so too does the mad tycoon forever sealed in a palace of his own creation. Whether Flagler haunts the halls of the hotel remains to be seen. You'd have to see for yourself and I recommend you try. In my mind, the sheer fact that we tell these ghost stories would please Henry to no end. If there's one thing that Henry Flagler truly wanted, it was to be remembered by any means necessary. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Wait 5 Minutes. I am so glad that you are here. If you're brand new to this show, or even if this is your first episode, welcome. 
there are some really incredible stories waiting for you. If you're looking for a good place to jump in, you don't need to go all the way back to the beginning. I have lots of other ghost story episodes. First of all, there's the episode from last October about the Annie Russell Theater, which is a haunted theater that I personally have a lot of great stories about. There is also the episode from last October full of all of the folklore around Florida that I am especially interested in. If you did enjoy this episode or those, please consider leaving a five-star review below. It helps the show become more visible and honestly, it makes my day so much better. You can also find me and share the episodes on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at WFMPod. If you want to send me a message, you can do so at WFMPod at gmail.com. I'm working on the fourth season of Wait 5 Minutes episodes right now, and one of the things that really matters to me is telling the stories that you want to hear. If you have an idea for a story for Wait 5 Minutes, please send it my way. I really look forward to hearing from you. I would like to give a very special thank you to my friend Bailey DeVoe. Speaking of which, she is currently involved in a production of one of my favorite musicals of all time, Stephen Sondheim's Assassins. You can see that at the Mad Theater in Tampa, April 16th to May 3rd. You can buy your tickets at the link below. I would also like to give a shout out to a project that the Tampa Bay Times is running. It's a Facebook page called Coronavirus Updates, Tips by Tampa Bay Times. They are sharing stories all about how the coronavirus is affecting Tampa, Florida, and the nation at large. If you're interested, you can join this group at the link below. Thank you to Lauren Nix for artwork used on the social media channels. You can find more of her art at lauren.nix.photo. Nix is spelled N-I-X. All of the music used in this episode is from Lobo Loco. You can find more of their fabulous work at the link below. I'll catch you next Monday with a brand new episode as we approach this finale of season three. Until then, I'm Nick D'Alessandro. Be good to yourself, be good to others, and please drink more water. <laughs>